Welcome to 931, Growing the Church in Canada, a podcast about church revitalization and hosted by Heritage College and Theological Seminary in Cambridge, Ontario. Join us as we explore with Canadian leaders strategic topics related to church revitalization. Well, good morning. It's a delight to welcome uh, Dr. John Stairs, the lead pastor at Temple Baptist Church here in Cambridge, to our podcast. Uh, John, would you give us, please, the, the Reader's Digest version of your experience of God's saving grace? Well, Keith, it's great to be with you and uh, really enjoyed um, serving alongside you at uh, Calvary Baptist Church in Oshawa and going to India and training pastors. So um, I love your question. Uh, I would say grace exploded into my life when I was 17 years old. I was at a prayer meeting, and um, after we got done prayer meeting, we had one of those those uh, Baptist type of, of business meetings. And at that business meeting, um, a church leader got up and started yelling at my dad, who was the pastor of the church. And, and um, of course, as a 17-year-old, that very much... Um, causes you to say, what kind of church are we? I guess so. <laughs> are we at here? And um, it really took me back. And um, you know, I thought I was kind of heading towards ministry and wondering what God really wanted me to do. And um, fast forward a couple weeks later, and um, I come up to this four-way stop, and um, there was no one at this four-way stop except for one person, and it was this same elderly gentleman who had chewed up my father in front wow. of the whole church. Hmm. And as he crossed uh, the front of the girl of my car, just for a moment, <laughs> I thought I could take him out. Wow, wow. You know how you're defensive yes, of your own absolutely. family, right? Absolutely, And immediately a flood of grace came over me, and I thought, I am no better. In fact, I'm worse than this, this, this gentleman um, because of the fact that um, I have murder in my heart. And so God really showed me that uh, in light of who my own sin, how much I needed, needed yes. Christ and, and legalists need, need Christ. And um, uh, so that, that's really been one of the drivers of my life. And I would also say as time went on, and I think we've all, many of us have been, um, had this second, um, this second, uh, I don't know, revolution of just how the gospel drives our ministry. Uh, our preaching, yes. our, our yes. ministry has really changed my life too. How, how did God lead you actually into pursuing training for church leadership? Did that start early? Uh, just walk us through the process of how you sense God's calling and then the steps you took to pursue training to become a church leader. Yeah, well, training has always been a, a big part of uh, my life. Um, as a third generation pastor, my father, I can still remember when I was, well, three years old and my dad was working on his doctorate at Westminster Seminary and in Philly and um, I remember him graduating and trying on his doctoral robes and so uh, that kind of that infused some passion for theological learning um, even at a very young age. Uh, then through the years I, I really I really wanted to play for the Blue Jays and be a pitcher for the Blue Jays and wrestled through you know mm. some other directions of life but at age 17 um, I really sensed the Lord of Lord calling me into ministry and the local church was affirming that I just got addicted to ministry anywhere I could serve I just okay. serve and um, I asked my dad I said uh, I think God's calling me into ministry and and I'd like to pursue um, you know going to school and he said I asked him where would you recommend it? and he said uh, well I would trade all of the 
nine different schools that I did post-secondary to go to Moody Bible Institute. That's where he he graduated from. Hmm. And I, I visited the school and just loved it and saw the leaders that were on campus there and um, student leaders. And uh, I never looked back. I only applied to Moody and God bless so you get was it. your dad serving in the U.S. at that time, or was he here in no, Canada? he was serving in Canada. He was serving actually at that time at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. Right. So he had he had done his some of his training earlier at Moody. Yes, that's where he did. Now at the time in the '60s, they only had a missionary course, um, and then he went on and did his bachelor's and master's degrees and. And then his doctorate. So, so yeah. you started at Moody. That was an, in an undergraduate program. Right. And then went on with them into a master's level program. And then I went on to um, Bethel uh, Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. Right. Uh, after I graduated, I was in ministry. And so I needed um, I needed a school that was able to work around my ministry sure. schedule. Yeah, absolutely. And back in the late 90s, Bethel was the leading um, school in using technology and they were kind of ATS's pilot program okay. on yes. on um, using technology, and they had an in-ministry program. And so that was just a tremendous program to be in because I was around students who were 20 years older than me who had been in ministry for 20 mm-hmm. years and asked just great questions, and I got to sit and listen from them. So, And concurrently, you were a pastor. While you were doing yes. this master's level, you were, you were in pastoral ministry. Right. And where was that? So that was at a Geneseo Evangelical Free Church in Geneseo, Illinois. Which, right. So it's about two and, a half or two and a half hours west of Chicago. Now, I know one of the interests that you've had uh, through the years is certainly, certainly the church and the health of the church, the growth of the church. Could you outline for us, please, uh, some of the key lessons that God has taught you, some of the lessons that you've learned formally, informally, through your own experience, through the study of the scriptures, through your training, about the whole area of church health and evangelism? Yes, uh, great question again. The first, I would say the first lesson I've learned is you must keep your eyes on Christ and remembering his calling during the darkest days, uh, which is why I don't get too far from the Gospels. Even in my uh, devotional life, um, I'm always trying to read through the Bible, but I I love going back to uh, reading the Gospels and also the pastoral epistles every year, as well as the Proverbs. So that, that really helps me. Um, and really keeping Christ the center, as Alan Hirsch says, your Christology will drive your missiology, which will drive okay. your ecclesiology. Amen. And I think that that order is really important. Um, second of all, you must uh, let Christ fight for you because uh, we are in a spiritual battle. Um, one of the uh, signs up in my office is um, is the quote from Exodus 14, 14, um, where uh, the Lord tells his people that they were in between this yes. they were in between the Red Sea yes. and the Egyptians if you recall mm-hmm. and um, the Lord says uh, to be still and uh, that he will fight our battles for him Amen. you know you only need to be still for I will fight for you and the Lord um, has uh, has fought for us and I I, I think of as Paul Tripp calls uh, the Lord he's our warrior warrior spirit our warrior God right and he fights for us and I'm not great at memorizing scripture, but you need to uh, hide God's word in your heart. Uh, a third um, lesson I've learned is, I think it's from Kerry Newell-Wolf, and I never say his name correctly, but um, he taught me when you go into a new church, kill what is killing you, and then let other things that are dying a slow death 
die a natural death. If there's something that's going to threaten the okay. body of the Christ okay. or the, the vitality of the church, you have to you have to deal with that immediately. Hmm. That's why the saying sometimes they say don't don't make any changes the first year. I don't think that that's true. I think you actually have an opportunity that first year to make some changes, as long as you're upfront and honest with yes. the people, letting them know what you're going to do and your values. So even as part of the interview process, when you're going to candidate for a church, when you're going to lead a church, here are some of the things that you believe that God is directing you to, to lead in terms of change. Absolutely, right. absolutely. And then a fourth lesson is um, you have to give people something better than what they presently have. If uh, we're, we're all recovering legalists, as someone has said, and um, my grandfather is a pastor, also said, you don't take a toy away from you know a toddler um, not that all legalists are toddlers but <laughs> you don't you don't take a toy away from a toddler right, you have to right. give them something better and grace is so much better great now in 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 terms of church governance god, god brought you um, fairly recently unpack for us a little bit how the lord led you to temple baptist and then walk us through sort of the structure the leadership structure that's there at temple Sure. Well, as I said earlier, um, it was great to serve at Calvary Baptist Church, where you go, Keith, and um, attend, and uh, loved being there. Had a great pastoral team to work alongside. Um, and if anything, um, uh, God was doing in my wife's and my heart was to potentially become a church planter. We actually went through the Feb Central Church right. Planting Assessment, hmm. and um, we're uh, green-lighted for that. Um, and we're wondering maybe if God wanted us to plant a church to the marginalized in South Oshawa was kind of where we were thinking. In the meantime, we created some DNA core values that that church plant would display. Sure, sure. And um, we just kind of put in the Lord's hands. Well, I had some you know, different offers from other churches to explore possibilities with them. And then the church plant was in the background and still serving at Calvary. And I remember walking to work one day and saying, Lord, what do you want done? And I get to my office, and as soon as I turn on my computer, there's an email from Temple Baptist Church in Cambridge. And I thought, well... You know, I knew of of Temple Baptist Church because my father had been the interim, and um, I knew that that was they they have a reputation for being quite conservative, and and I thought, um, you know, I can definitely I'm definitely theologically conservative, but not methodologically conservative, and um, I said, well, I can't take that prayer back, Lord, but I'll just tell them who I really am. And uh, so I kept telling them who I really am, and they kept going forward, including this, sharing all those DNA core values. And um, they kept saying, well, we know we need to change or we're, we're going to die. And I, I humbly disagreed and said, actually, you need to die, and then you'll change because that's when resurrection happens. Amen. And uh, so, so you've been there how long? Uh, just over five Five and a half years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Walk us through a little bit of the church governance. How, where, where does church governance, did you make changes to church governance? Mm-hmm. Did you sort of inherit a structure that was there that you've modified? Explain that to us a little. Well, as an established church, we definitely inherited some of, of uh, a governance structure or at least a leadership structure that was there. Um, and yet we we didn't start off with, with 
leadership or governance structure as the first part of renewal. We All started right. with prayer Fair enough. Um, and, and spiritual renewal and congregational renewal. I think those things all need to happen first. Um, and as trust is built, then you, you finally, the fifth step would probably be that, sh- that structural governance renewal. Um, so we've just transitioned to a new um, model where uh, we are Christ-ruled, member-served, elder-led, staff-managed, and deacon-assisted. And uh, we spent really years studying what the Bible says because I had grown up, as maybe many of you have listening, um, with the model of kind of one pastor or a few pastors, multiple pastors, with a a deacon's board. And um, when I came to Temple, they uh, they had a deacon's board, but they also had elders' council. And so that was all new to me, and I needed to understand, okay, what is, what's the difference between an right. elder and a deacon? Right. How does this function? Let's search the scriptures, um, study a lot, uh, books that are written on the subject, um, and, uh, and, and then look at other churches and see what they're doing. And I, I uh, spent time with some great leaders, even the late Steve Baxter, who uh, said, uh, your church will eventually look like your elders. And that really hit me. Interesting. You know, I said, okay, mm-hmm. what does that mean? And what kind of examples are we, we uh, leading? So we wanted to create a model that emphasizes plurality of leadership with a lot of margin for the lead pastor to provide vision and leadership while still having accountability. And we landed on a model where elders aren't a board as much as they're the active shepherds in leading, caring for, feeding, and protecting the sheep. They visit a lot. They, they teach. They, they really are come alongside uh, me and, and help shepherd the church. Right. So it's a, f- it's a functioning role, Abs- not, not simply a board role of a decision-making. It's a functioning role in among the flock where God has placed them. Absolutely. Right. And we have clear boundaries what that role is. It's not elders don't even really manage the church. They oversee, you know, the ministry and they have to set sometimes the boundaries, not quite like a carver model, but they set some of the boundaries when it comes right. to remuneration and, and some policies. But for the most part, we spend our time in prayer and thinking about the sheep and caring about right. them. And so uh, we expect our elders to lead by example, to have the same gifts and biblical knowledge as staff pastors. Okay. And that requires a great book um, that I recently uh, became aware of is Phil, Philip Taylor's Elder Development. Um, and he walks it right, right through the whole process. Okay. And um, it's a pretty intense and, you know, process that we now employ, a two-year process where they have to read um, Grudem's theology. They have to read all these books. They have to um, go through sitting elders meetings for training, and um, but we I just see so much benefit of having these elders. Uh, and the, probably the the biggest benefit is they really shoulder the load of shepherding the church. Um, we pastors eat, sleep, and drink church, but elders are non-staff who can give outside perspective and yet insights from the congregation. And uh, I think we pastors, if we have elders who we have that great trust, uh, need to, you know, as Jeff Bennett says, Pastor Jeff Bennett at Harvest Fellowship in St. Catherine says, God speaks through elders. So I listen to them. Uh, The challenge is for deacons, if you're making this transition, um, in many fundamentalist Baptist churches, deacons have functioned as quasi-elders. Yeah. Lines are blurred there, aren't they? Yeah. So we've just defined deacons, as uh, Dr. Rick Baker says, as serving specialists and uh, noted servants and um, define them as non-governing leaders who assist the staff in managing the church. 
Now, going back to the whole area of Christology, which you mentioned as a, as a, as a key lesson, uh, walk us through a little bit some of your doctor of ministry studies. If I, if I recall correctly, you tackled the subject of Christ's commands. Right. The, the, you focus on the life of Christ and his commands for those who claim to be his followers. Could you give us just, just briefly some of the, some of the principles? What, were some, what would you say are the key principles, the strategic principles you learned through this study, and how have you sought to apply them where you are? Right, and with Christ's commands, I've also it kind of expanded beyond that to also talk about how does that also drive our ecclesiology. Okay. So um, the first uh, thing that I really discovered was um, as I studied Christ's commands um, and and then had a broader view of the local church is that it's really the lo- the role of the local church to identify, train, and send people into local ministry. Christ. Christ did that, and we should continue to follow in that. Um, second of all, we need, you know, and this is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, we need that apostolic, prophetic, and evangelistic leaders in the local church and not just outsourcing discipleship to to uh, maybe the, what's been called the parachurch. Um, uh, thirdly, reproduction requires intimacy. Um, small groups and triads uh, was the method Jesus used the most in discipleship. So I've, I've, I rarely ever do one-on-one discipleship anymore. Um, I think um, Greg Ogden in his book, which I've used extensively, The Discipleship Essentials, talks about the fact that you need um, disciples um, discipling one another and then also right. having that lead disciple um, you know, kind of mentor them okay. um, because it becomes almost sometimes a codependent relationship when you just have one-on-one. Not that you never should do that, but I think you can really be a lot more. You just add a, you add a mix, you add yeah. a dimension of spiritual interaction that would be different just because there's another member of the body of Christ, different Absolutely. perspective, different gifting. And multiplying more, right, that way. And then we also just, um, in my doctoral research, um, uh, really discovered that we should treat your your missionaries like staff. Um, so that's what we've done at Temple. And, um, you know, that really extends more into missiology beyond just, you know, the commands sure. of Christ. Yes. But um, as I kind of, like I said, it kind of um, warped into a, a, a missiological uh, exploration as well. So, Well, I think to draw this to a close, uh, let's, let's tackle the issue of spiritual vitality. Just could you... Could you indicate for us and just share some some pastoral counsel how do you maintain your own spiritual vitality and what counsel would you give to a fellow pastoral leader whose vitality perhaps is is diminishing well um this might be oversimplified but um today as we record this uh dr billy graham passed away last night and i remember hearing him say that when asked what were the secrets to his spiritual vitality he says well I pray and I read God's word. Hmm. Sounds basic. Yeah, like he says, I'm always praying and talking <laughs> yes. to God. And I'm always yes. reading God's word. And yes. Apparently, his Bible is always open. Hmm. I don't think we can get far from that. So, Amen. so for me, it's early morning, you know, prayer, personal Bible reading, not for, not, not for sermon not prep. Not to teach, right? Right. Um, you for know, you, meditation for your, heart, for your yeah. own heart and life. Yeah. Um, Sabbath rest. Uh, I don't do enough of those, but when I talk about Sabbath rest, you know, taking that time alone with God, of recharge, Hmm. um, and also pastoral friends. I need friends outside. I have friends in the church, but outside of the church who can just kind of um, infuse, um, you know, 
reminders of God's word and his Amen. grace into my life. And the counsel I give to a pastoral leader whose vitality is diminishing is you should get right size in God's creation. I've always found maybe that does it for me just to be out in God's creation and said, I am so puny and God mm -hmm. is so large. Amen. And yes. this little problem that seems massive in my mind, God, you can take care of this. Amen. And I think that refreshes you as David when he is, you know, if you think about um, King David back, uh, well, he wasn't king at the time, but if you, at the end of Samuel, uh, all of his men were rising up against him because they lost their wives. Yes. And, yes. and uh, there's a little phrase that says, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. Amen. And I think you have to do that. You have to. You Accept have to, responsibility. Yeah. Take your own responsibility to find your new strength in God. Recommit yourself to him and to the work he's called you to. Absolutely. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to uh, seeing how God will use you and uh, direct your steps in the coming days. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to 931 Growing the Church in Canada, a podcast seeking to explore issues of church revitalization. To learn more about what Heritage College and Theological Seminary has to offer you and your church, please visit our website at heritagecambridge.com where we're seeking to honor and serve Jesus Christ and his bride, the church.